When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 14. Episode 14. This is Writing Excuses, when to tell. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Dan. And let me tell ya. Let me tell you a thing. Uh, so this is kind of a different podcast. We normally talk about showing and not telling. It's an age-old adage in writing and in screenwriting that you want to show things to the audience. You don't want to tell them about the things. But the more I become a professional writer, the longer I write, the more I realize that adage is, like, not true. Um, <laughs> the adage is mostly true. Uh, the adage really should be show most of the time, but know when to tell. Yeah, and one of the things that's interesting about it is that it's actually an adage that comes from television and stage where they were trying to get people to move away from a narrator or title cards. It's like, because what would happen a lot of times in silent film is that people would would put a bunch of title cards up rather than having the action convey. right convey right. the story. And so the, where it carries over into to fiction is that you do want, if you want the reader to feel kind of a closer engagement to the moment, you do want to try to put more sensory details in, in and things like yep. that. But there's a lot of places where the reader doesn't need to be deeply invested in the sensory details of what's going on in the moment. And so there you switch to that, that the, and I, the, the I telling. I think the salient point here is that like a great many ironclad writing rules. It's not only not ironclad, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's just really full of mm-hmm. holes. It's just really squishy. And this episode, we're going to talk about the squishy side of it. We're going to yep. talk about the telling as opposed to the showing. Yeah. In, in TV, you can see this a lot. If, uh, if you're watching TV and the episode suddenly starts leaning very heavily on flashback or voiceover to get its point across that's kind of a sign that they are telling rather than showing. And so what I've started to think is, oh, this is absolutely a time when voiceover would be appropriate. Mm-hmm. And therefore I know, okay, I can tell now. Yeah, it's it's really not a hard, fast rule because even in some of the cases, like one of, some of the most egregious tells are when you see a movie open with an opening monologue by a character. This is usually a sign that something has gone wrong in production and they need to cover a bunch of information very quickly, so they add an opening monologue. But I felt like the Lord of the Rings films um, had the exact sort of opening monologue you're not supposed to have to info dump on the readers, Mm -hmm. and where it was absolutely essential, covered the right amount of of time and information to bring us up to speed, and those tended to work really well. Yeah, well, and part of the reason in that case is because it felt like it was Ephemera, like we've talked right. about before. Mm-hmm. Here yeah. is a poem or legend from within the world of the story, and we're going to kick you off with that. Yeah. One of the places where I super often tell as opposed to showing 
is uh, the earliest um, in a book, the earliest of the little orange narrator boxes mm. on establishing shot panels where instead of saying, uh, you know, meanwhile on Breath Weapon, it is, uh, you know, the the mercenary flagship uh, warship Breath Weapon under command of so-and-so. And that's, that is a title card, as if from a silent movie. And then we duck straight into the action because I do not want to waste art cycles on having these characters reintroduce you to the set. Yeah. And that's, in terms of world building, telling the setting is... And I think one of the, the, the title card is a, a thing that I was actually starting to think about as a, a good metric for figuring out when you should be showing versus telling. Because, you know, we, we've seen the film where it it says Paris and there's a shot of the Eiffel Tower and you're like, thanks, gosh, I didn't <laughs> know that we were in Paris. What are the clues? <laughs> so if you've got, if the telling is redundant and you're immediately going to start showing us something, that's maybe a place that you don't need the telling or maybe you can skip that showing and move straight on to another meaty thing. Yeah, I've said this before on the podcast, but one thing I notice a lot in my students and in my own writing when I'm doing revisions is I'll often do the show then tell, yeah, or the tell then show, yeah. where yeah. you 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 don't trust the audience as much as you should. Yes, she said, nodding. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> that's that's a very succinct way of putting it. One thing to keep in mind is that showing almost always takes more words than telling. Mm-hmm. This is why. You know, that this is why um, sometimes you don't want to show. Uh, Mary hinted at it earlier. Sometimes you don't need all the sensory information. You don't need a moment by moment, and you want to lapse into summary. How do we know when to make that choice? I use it a lot. And again, this is my theater background showing. Um, I tend to use it when I, I want to do, uh, like, travel scenes. You know, mm-hmm. I need to demonstrate that my characters are hitting a lot of different places. Um, or if I have a detective that is doing a lot of detective work, but I don't actually want to make the reader sit through all of it because most detective work is really, really dull, then I'll I'll tell you about, you know, I visited the little old lady and I visited the, the man in the straw hat, and now I found myself at... And then go back into the scene. So a lot of times I will use it, I will use telling as kind of a transition. Yeah, I've noticed um, one person I think that uses their telling really effectively is J.K. Rowling. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the reasons why telling is so important in the Harry Potter books is she has set up a format where the book takes the school year. And it, you need to feel like a school year is passing yeah. through the course of this book. And so you can't do what most of us do in a similar sort of type of narrative, which is really, if you look at it, it's happening across a couple of days or a couple of weeks. We do that so we don't have to do very much telling, so we don't have to make large swaths of time pass, and it makes a, a book feel more immediate. But I love the format of the Harry Potter books because, you know, that form really reinforces the type of story you're doing. We're at school, time is going to pass. And so you'll see her going in and out of narrative to pass large chunks of time where not much important is Mm -hmm. happening, but the characters are growing and learning things. Yeah, well, and that's one of the things that I do when I write is paying attention to the purpose of the scene. Like, does this scene have a goal beyond simply showing what happens after the last scene ends? If I'm only writing it because... I'm describing them walking or eating or something. 
then I know that it's extraneous and I can cut it out. Hey, writers. Are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all, think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week, which is not actually a book. Yes, speaking of long scenes of walking. <laughs> um, so, the Hobbit movies, I think even the people who love them recognize that they are riddled with errors are not errors, but problems. Let's call it that. Uh, and so what I want to recommend to you right now are uh, some of the fan edits, in particular one that's called the two-hour fan edit by a woman named Fiona Van Dahl. And we'll make sure to put the link for that into the uh, liner notes on the website. But you can look it up, the two-hour fan edit. Um, she has taken all nine-something hours of the extended edition Hobbit movies and condensed them to about two hours and four minutes. Wow. And it is incredible what she's been able to do by cutting out the unnecessary stuff and just getting right to the point. And when necessary, there's just, you know, not a lot of tell so much as just trimming the fat and getting right down to the bones of this is what we need in order for the story to work. So along those lines, um, I find that for telling and showing, one of the key skills to learn is transitions, mm -hmm. moving between them. Any tips for listeners about how they might transition between these kind of narrative blocks and these more in-scene blocks? The, the first skill to recognize is that if you are strictly writing third-person limited, um, 
the first time you sit down to write that block, you may be asking yourself, wait, whose point of view is this? Am I, do I have a POV error here? And it's possible that the first step is to let go and allow yourself to write it as a POV error, and then to write the bit that is not POV error, and then ask yourself, where's the seam? How does it, how does this break and why does it break? And it may be which pronouns you're using. It may be the voice that's used in describing the things. But for me, in order to get over that hurdle, the first thing I have to do is write both pieces so that I can see them. You know, I do that a lot too. And I often find that I manage to get all that information into the narrative and then can go back and look at those first few paragraphs that are very very much over the top tell and trim them down really, really sparsely. Yeah. I find that um, I'll, I'll do that kind of thing sometimes. Uh, the other thing that I find uh, for the transitions is to really think about signposting and specifically what it is that I am trying to, you know, going back to what Dan said about thinking about the purpose of the scene, what am I trying to emphasize in this? Am I trying to emphasize that it's something that took a long time? Am I trying to emphasize that it's they've covered a lot of ground? Am I trying to emphasize that they've talked to a lot of people? You know, uh, am I trying to emphasize weariness? Like, what is the what is the one thing that I want readers to know in this telling? And then I will signpost going in. So if I'm trying to emphasize that it took a long time, it's, then I would actually just kind of say, and then I began the incredibly lengthy process. Right. And you know, or then she began the incredibly lengthy process. And then, and the process involved, you know, five baked potatoes, a yeah. French horn and Julia Child. And at the end of that incredible five hours, I found myself holding a bottle of reduced corn syrup and I have no idea what the scene is. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I was so excited to see where that was going. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a little tired. The French um, horn was a jello mold. <laughs> it was a jello mold. <laughs> the, Point uh, being. Well, no, I love I, I love what you're what you're describing there. The um uh and you know, we we laughed at it. The uh, those of us who write humor have a distinct advantage because that transition is sometimes weird and juxtaposing things in a way to exploit the weirdness to set the reader off balance so that you can deliver a punchline is my bread and narrating yeah. narrative butter. Um, there's a, the strips that I will be inking while we are uh, at sea on, uh, we're recording this just prior to uh, WXR 2018 um, are strips in which Kevin is being decanted from the cloning tank. And for six panels, the narrator is talking about how this is a rebirth. This is a sacred moment. This is something where it, it takes hours. We spend time, you know, draining things and uh, uh, body cavities are emptied and the nanobots are allowed to clean up after themselves. And unless somebody's in a hurry, and then we have Kevin dropping out of the tank and blowing things out of out of holes, and it is Kevin talking and yelling and and I have spent I've spent six panels describing to people 
what the resurrection process in my universe is supposed to look like, because I never want to actually take all the time to draw all that stuff over that over that huge length of whatever. I just want to go straight to the joke. Yeah, that's um, that's thinking about that. I've been trying to pinpoint other reasons that I tell, and I think the not repeating myself is another one of those. Mm-hmm. Like you have a lot of people getting resurrected um, in your stories, and if you went through that process every time, we would get really bored. Mm-hmm. You see this very frequently with the, and she filled him in on the events of the recent days. And yeah. that's a really handy method of telling. You know, I find myself increasingly disinterested, for example, in fight scenes. Because the purpose of most fight scenes is, and then they punched each other and this guy won, you know? And I don't necessarily need to watch all 10 minutes of the punching just to get to the one important narrative part of the scene. And so... That's something else that I've started thinking about when I'm writing a scene is, you know, is there an important character moment? Is there a decision or a mystery or something we have to see? Or am I just putting this in there because it's cool? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, thinking about that, another big reason to tell is to de-emphasize also. Mm -hmm. Because as I mentioned earlier, showing takes more time. It therefore invests the reader in what you are showing is that is often a really good thing to do when you're writing. You want more reader investment. But once in a while, you've got something that you'll find, even in your draft, that you've spent a lot of time on that's not important, that the readers, your beta readers, are overemphasizing. They're looking at it and saying, this must be important. He spent three paragraphs on it where you realize, oh, I was just showing off that I can show. Mm-hmm. when that needed to be one line so that they wouldn't emphasize it so much. Yeah, yeah. I, I find that because of that, I often use uh, telling as a form of controlling my pacing, that if I, wanna, if I want to get to the next thing, if I find that I am taking too long on something, something's dragging, that I'll shift to telling it just to get through it a little faster. Well, we are out of time. I'm going to give you some homework today, which is I want you to pick a scene in something you're working on. And make this a fairly important scene. And I want you to cut it out. I want you to skip it. Now, you may not actually leave it skipped. This is okay. This is just an exercise. Because what we want you to do is we want you to practice your transition out of something being skipped. We want you to cut out the scene, have a character when you come back in, kind of transition into not uh, narrative and then make sure you bring all the characters up to speed on what's been skipped and the reader up to speed in a way that is not boring and <laughs> does not cause you to hit a big speed bump. This is hard, but this is why we assign you practice things to do. Give this a try, and hopefully you'll be able to apply that skill to future scenes you're writing in your stories. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.